Welcome back, folks, to another soul-driven discussion. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Anna Hendricks. I am a spiritual guide, marketer, and your host. And I'm super pumped for today's discussion with Sarah about romantic compatibility. Because, wait a minute, <laughs> pretty sure that is a subject that affects all of us, right? And it's certainly something we all enjoy learning more about. So before we dive into that, I just have a couple of announcements that I want to share with you. First of all, the Soul Driven Collective is live. And if you want to just go ahead and jump in, check it out, you can find that link in the show notes. If you would like to learn more about it, I highly suggest giving episode 57, the last episode, a listen where I go in depth about why, what it is you'll have to look forward to in this collective, the future plans for it, and who it is for, which, I mean, honestly, bottom line, if you are interested in spiritual anything, then this is going to be an amazing community for you to get involved in. I have so many things that I'm going to start packing into this community moving forward, in addition, there is a 90-day founding members promotion that is running right now. So that's for a limited time. If this is of interest to you or it resonates, be sure to go check it out. And just kind of an example of some cool things that are, that are happening within the collective. So tonight, actually, I will be meeting with folks to do the live Akashic reading for the month of May. There will be um, time for question and answer. We'll be pulling cards. We'll be talking about integration. It's just going to be fun. It's our very first one. So I have no idea what to expect, but I'm super excited. Then next week, what we're doing is every month we have at least one guest from the podcast who comes into the collective, hangs out, and is available for like you know, an ask me anything, question and answer type discussion. And so you all can come and hang out and next week on the 28th, it will be Ashley Stinson, who is our last interview. She's going to come geek out with us about energy archaeology. And she'll be available for any questions that you have, talking about embodiment. But she's also going to share her new oracle deck of cards with us, which they are so gorgeous. I cannot wait to get my hands on them. So if these things are of interest to you, it's just a little sampling of some of the things that are happening within the community. You'll also be able to see like um, some clips from some of the things that I've shared. It is a private community and it's not hosted on social media. So you can come and hang out even if you're not on Facebook. Not a problem. <laughs> um, in fact, that was an intent that was intentional. <laughs> okay, so today's show with Sarah Elise. She's pretty much our resident astrologer. I mean, this is the third time I've had her on the podcast. I just, I love her. She brings so much wisdom and knowledge to this podcast, and I'm so thankful. Um, but some of the things that we're going to be talking about today in regards to romantic compatibility is how that is viewed through the lens of evolutionary astrology. We're going to be talking about things like the moon and Venus and Mars and how these planets affect, you know, the different elements of romance, right? Um, we're going to kind of be using like my chart is a little bit of an example, my chart uh, with my partners. Um, but what's really awesome is that we are diving in on some aspects of the chart that I have never heard anyone talk about on a podcast when it comes to romantic compatibility. And these are actually like the most important. So it's very cool. And Sarah outlines a very easy to follow, like a bullet pointed list of how to look into your chart and your partner's chart to get a really like accurate view, accurate view of what's going on. So anyway, without further ado, enjoy this discussion. Welcome to the Soul Driven Podcast. I believe that when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. If you are searching for meaning and purpose, if you are unsure about how to combine the spiritual with the everyday, if you are ready to uncover 
who you truly are, then you've come to the right place. The Soul Driven Podcast is dedicated to exploring the intersection of living a soulful and spiritual life in a driven and ambitious world. Join me for practical guidance, truthful discussions, and interviews with people who are successfully living a soul-driven life. My name is Anna Hendricks, spiritual guide, marketer, and your host. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, folks, and thank you for joining us for another soul-driven episode. This week, we have a discussion, and if you haven't joined us for one of our discussions yet, they're a new segment that we're doing, and it's pretty much just a full-on geek out session. We cover one topic with one specialist, and today I'm super excited to welcome back to the show for the third time. (laughs) You're like podcast family now, really? (laughs) Uh, Sarah Elise of Sarah Elise Astrologer who's a transformational evolutionary astrologer and spiritual life coach. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. Always good to have you. Thank you, Anna. Nice to be here. (laughs) It's like you're like people are really, they're going to have several shows to lean back on and get to know you from. I guess so. (laughs) I don't know who's out there watching me, but showing up. No, my audience loves you, like loves you. Your shows always do fantastic. Great. Yes. Well, I'm happy to kind of show up and talk. <laughs> yeah. If I have something to share that's of interest, all the better. Yeah. Well, I think they just always enjoy hearing what it is you have to say. So, um, so yeah, just a little bit of background on where this show kind of popped up. I have been a lot lifelong lover of astrology. I found my mother's astrology book when I was a kid and I was like sold Anything that helps me get to know myself a little bit better, I was all about it. Um, Growing up throughout the years, I've always, you know, enjoyed it, learned more about it. And here, in about the last six months, I've actually started diving pretty deep on it. And um, I came across some really interesting things within the chart that stood out to me as being more interesting or more like, uh, solid and like concrete ideas for, you know, long-term relationship compatibility within different charts that I had never heard of talked about before within astrology. So I reached out to Sarah and I was like, Sarah, and wanted to geek out about it. And she was like, we should maybe like talk about this over a show. And I was all for it. So today we're going to be talking about like just astrological relationship compatibility. I've got a bunch of questions for Sarah, and then um, we might actually dive into some live charts. So yeah, let's kick it off. Um, I felt like a good place to start was uh, with compatibility, right? Like when it comes to romance, how should we define that combat compatibility? And obviously this is, you know, Romance is a bit different than partnership is a bit different than like marriage, you know, like, so what, what part, you know, do you, do you know what I mean? Like there's different energies, right? Like there's like attraction and sexual attraction and that kind of energy. And then there's like the person that you want to like spend the rest of your life with. Right. And so there's different, there's different kinds of, of relationship dynamics is just what I'm, what I'm kind of getting at. And I think that different times in our life, different sorts of relationships are appropriate for us, right? Like, I don't know that we're all looking necessarily for our forever person. Sometimes we just want to have fun and sometimes we just want to have sex. That makes total sense. There's different things that you're attracted to for different reasons and different parts of your birth chart will kind of define the parameters around that attraction and why you have it or what it is. Do you know what I, do you know what I mean? Like, like your moon, for instance, in your chart tends to be the thing that you're going to find most comfortable and most secure. Like the, the like that that is your inner emotional security state, right? So, for instance, you you know if you've got moon in Sagittarius, which you do, you may find yourself really comfortable with someone who has a larger than life, grandiose, wise, intuitive, adventurous, 
right? Sort of more of that truth speaker, truth talker, straight to it, blunt, fiery personality. You may find that comfortable. There might be a sense of security in that because you're because your emotional self is getting somehow validated, right? Like I have a Capricorn moon. I sure feel comfortable when I know someone has their shit together. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely Capricorn. You got it together. I'm safe now. I'm comfortable, right? So, but the, that's a lunar thing. That's like my that's my inner security compass. Do I feel secure here? Do I not feel secure here? That's not my Venus. So maybe for the sake of like the conversation then today so that we can like narrow it down, because I think it's a really good point that they're all like, there are all these different energies. And then it just kind of depends on the person, right? Because someone's going to see sexual and partnership and those kind of things, like maybe as all the same, depending upon the type of person that they are, right? So I feel like there's a lot of variables there. So maybe for like today's conversation, we'll focus on like marriage or like long-term, you know, commitment compatibility. How about that? Is that? Sure, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I didn't even think like, oh, duh, there's all these different types of energies related to, and that's, I love that you share that because that's perfect. It just, it just that not everyone is going to stimulate all your, all your parts. You know what I mean? Like, like your, your mood sure. is have emotional security with someone. Then your Venus is going to want to, like your Venus is picky. Like everyone says Venus is the planet of love, but she's actually the planet of discernment. Well, values is like what I think of when I think of Venus, you know, yeah. like do your values align more than romance, you know? Exactly. exactly. And, and like, do we want the same thing? Mm-hmm. And you will be attracted Venus and want to pull in Venus. I want to tractor beam something that is congruent with my value system, you know, like, so you value Capricorn, you have Venus and Capricorn you value, you value someone who is probably kind of professional success, right? I mean, like you, I want someone who's got their shit together. (laughs) But you, but you have that adventurous moon, right? That needs to have fun and freedom and, and needs to be able to fight and, and debate and have all, you know, and, and so those two qualities, how do you find those two qualities in someone? right? That the, the, the professional got their shit together and then this adventurous philosophical free spirit. So then there's a negotiation that has to happen, right? What is more important to you? You might find yourself falling into a relationship with a free spirit and not getting yourself, you're not getting your needs met. Or you might find yourself falling into a relationship with someone who's really professional and structured and disciplined and has their shit together, but they're no fun. So where's the, you know, you have to almost understand yourself as a complete person rather than just like one thing, you, you know, yeah. then there's sexual energy, which is Mars. Mars is, they say that is your, your, like the quality of your, like the quality of your feminine, how you receive is Venus. Like your feminine will feel safe when someone is strong, when someone is deeply um, stable and reliable when someone can really hold you and be responsible for you and is willing to show you right yeah how they are that way then you will then your feminine will open up and your feminine is the venus but your mars is your male energy so your mars is in virgo like do you find that you want to um extend yourself into relationships as a helper or as a, as a fixer in any way? Like how does that Virgo Mars express? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the, you know, take on too much responsibility type of person, have to back off. Oh yeah. really? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I, I find great pleasure in fixing things <laughs> of all kinds. <laughs> um, something that I read that really made incredible sense to me Um, which I'd love to hear your opinion on this, is that women are attracted to like, you know, the the partner that is the sign of their Mars and men are attracted to, you know, male, female, like these energies, right? We don't have to stick with genders, but like 
a more masculine gender is going to be attracted to like what his Venus sign is. Do you see what I'm saying? Which yeah. when I first learned about that and came across it, I was like, oh, this makes sense because Virgos have always been my kryptonite. <laughs> and I didn't understand why, because I'm a double Sagittarius, you know? Um, mm, yeah, and that's where you, you just hit on something really important there. It has nothing to do with your sun sign. Like those little like, oh, Gemini is compatible with it. Like, yeah, yeah. I've never found that to be true. Eh, eh, eh. Yeah, it's way more subtle than that. And I and yes, I've noticed this also, Anna. Like I've noticed that um like for my with my with my current boyfriend, with the person who's my who's my com companion, he has Venus and Cancer. I have Venus and Cancer. Hmm. When I go into my feminine, he's very attracted. It's almost like there's this energetic lock-in that happens. I, if I go into my feminine, if I go into my Venus, he loves it. He thinks it's beautiful. Like he, <laughs> he's so attractive, right? Like, it, and so, so yeah, I, I get that, right? And, and he has his Saturn in North Node in Mars, and my Mars is, or sorry, in Aries. And my Mars is in Aries. Mm. So there's this, when he goes into that strong, masculine fire, like, right, that Aries energy, I find that so attractive. Like, it's just heart stopping. Like, it's just like, <laughs> oh, there you are. I like it. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> give me a little more of that. So yeah, yes, and these are components of us. They don't define the whole of us, though. Right. They're qualities, but they're really important qualities because like they're the qualities of sexual attraction and personal attract, like and 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 like the the male and female. And I guess that, that that those are the dynamics between men and women or women and women or men and men. Like it's our male and female, right? That like it's the relationship between these two things that kind of comes into play in in our own personal relationships. So why not? It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, the energetics. Yeah. So the moon is our, like, our just kind of inner peace. Is that correct? I think, like, the moon is a little bit more like, what do I want to be home with? What do I trust? What do I feel safe with? You know what I mean? Like, what, like if, if the Mars and the <laughs> are kind of, like, sexual attraction and fun and dynamic, like, attract attraction energy, that moon is you want to have the moon happy if you want to make a family with someone or if you want to make a home with them or if you want to stabilize and feel safe in the relationship like you you want to make sure that your moon is somehow well aspected i think in the chart versus theirs you know what i mean like so in the sinistry chart between the two of you there's some way that your moon is supported my teacher alan oaken um i did some astrology training with him on relationship years ago now, but one of the things that I really remember from what he taught is that a man's moon conjunct a woman's sun is the best relationship because his feminine, his, his moon and her masculine will be perfectly matched. Hmm. If a man's sun is conjunct a woman's moon, his masculine is stronger than her feminine. They're matched, but it's a dynamic of inequity. That what so you what would that look like? Matters. Well, it would look like, so say you've got a man whose sun is in Sagittarius and then a woman whose moon is in Sagittarius, okay? Because it's his son, because he's a man with his son in Sag, it's going to be a stronger presentation of the Sag, Sag energy. It's gonna be really powerful. The sun is in Sag. It's a bright energy, bright archetype versus her lunar archetype is Sag. So it's more of an introverted, more of a subtle, more of a feminine archetype. Right. Because he's already um, got the masculine thing going on a lot more than probably she does because there's already sort of, not always, because I mean, I'm a really masculine woman. Like I have a lot of fire in me. 
So I'm not sure if this plays out. This certainly doesn't play out like cross the board as women are more women. I mean, women are more feminine and, ma and men are more masculine. Like many times a man is more feminine and a woman is more masculine, right? Or then you get same sex couples where it's the same thing. There's, but there's always going to be some kind of a, a dynamic. Right, for sure. So if the more masculine of the partners has their son on top of the more feminine partner's moon, that inequity will be almost over-exaggerated. To the point where the, the masculine energy will overpower the feminine. And so if you're okay with that kind of a role structure, that kind of traditional role structure, right? Where the where one of them is over the other and that, that one acquiesces to that and that there's this lovely dynamic that can play out as long as both, pe both people are okay with that. But what Alan was saying is that to balance it out and have a, a really equal relationship, the masculine, the dominant masculine partner's moon should be on the feminine dominant partner's sun so that it balances and harmonizes the energy. Does that, does that make sense to you? So it would work better if he was Sagittarius moon and she was Sagittarius sun. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. That's interesting. Um, okay. So we've got the moon. And there's then, hmm, sorry, sorry. There's there's more. There's more. There's more. <laughs> no, go ahead. I don't know how much you want to really get into it, but then we start playing with the houses. Oh, and for sure. I want to get into the houses, but let's wait and talk about the planets real quick first, because <laughs> that's where all my all my all my uh, my questions are. I guess are kind of more so in the houses. Okay. So then Venus. I just want to get this clear for folks who maybe don't have as much, you know of a foundation in astrology. So Venus is like more our values, like you said, like, do we align? Do we want the same things, right? Yeah, Venus is what matters to you. She's She is like, when you go inside your internal temperament, that thing that is the quality of what you care about, what matters to you, what really means something to you, that's your Venus, right? And, and if you value yourself, you will have very high demand. You will demand what you need. If you have a lack of self-esteem or a lack of self-value, if you don't trust yourself, then you may get what you don't want in order to thrust yourself back in upon yourself to value yourself more. So you, you, you will generate, you will attract to you something equal to your own sense of inner value. For this sure. Is, this is how Venus works. She'll draw to us the relationships that we need, right? So that we can love ourselves more completely. Yeah. And eventually we get to the place where we're just really honest right. about what we want. And then we, and then we draw it in because we're giving it to ourselves. Yeah. For yeah. I always said, you know, um, unhealthy people don't attract healthy people. Like that's not, that's not really a thing, you know, maybe on the the front end side, but when it, when it comes to like, behind the doors, it's not, it's not going to work. You know, you've got to be able to both kind of be in similar places in regards to how you feel about yourself, you know, whether you like yourself or whether you don't. Um, and I've certainly seen that like with my uh, clients in the Akashic records, you know, in regards to who it is that they're attracting. Cause I don't know about you, but like with clients, relationships are always kind of top of line, right? Cause relationships are life. And, um, so that always plays into like such a huge dynamic. So that's Venus. And then Mars is like our sexual energy, right? It's kind of like the, the life giving force, if you will. I always think of Mars as being like very masculine energy too. Yeah. Mars is the male energy and Venus is the fem female energy. So the active versus the receptive. Yeah. Like the Venus, the feminine is the receptive right? It's a very powerful magnet energy, but the masculine is the extension energy. So it goes outward and it expresses and it moves out. It's the male energy. So question before we go further, um, you specialize in evolutionary astrology. Does evolutionary astrology look at like romantic compatibility, like long-term success compatibility different than like, I don't know, other different tenants um that's, or a like, tricky, that's a tricky one i think that evolutionary astrology um 
looks at soul pathing, looks at the evolutionary intention of a relationship or the evolutionary purpose of a relationship, right? What you're here to learn together, where the relationship is going. Mm. It can past life elements in a relationship or whether there's something that you're pulling through. It can, it can identify whether there is a past life connection, but whether or not it can identify long-term success I don't know about that. At least I don't know how to identify that in the chart. I don't know how to see whether two people will stay together. I don't know how to do that. I can identify like some of the subtle things that might come up or some of the dynamics that might be from a past relationship together. I, I can definitely see that. Um, but I don't know how to I don't yeah, I don't know. If you if you come across any way to see in the <laughs> people who will stay together for yeah i would love to do that I would but, really but wouldn't that. that like remove the the free will you know aspect of our lives i mean i think is like I when i consider compatibility anyway it would be like i mean every couple is going to have differences and every couple is going to have issues and every couple is going to go through things but like do you commit to going through those things together you know, it's like the the couples who last for years and years and years, decades, I should say, are the ones who like, you know, my, my partner and I, um, uh, we have a uh, uh, relationship therapist, couples therapist, um, and we used to see her pretty often, you know, and, and her thing was always like, it's a choice. It's a daily choice. You know, do you continue to decide to be with this person or not? You know, there's going to be things about them that upset you and things that don't. So I would think that more so like evolutionary astrology, because you can look at things like past lives, because those definitely affect our current lives so intensely. And then the evolutionary like possibilities, mm -hmm. that's huge, right? I mean, all you can do is kind of give people some... <laughs> some markers, you know, it's kind of like even a couple's therapist who's going to say, well, she likes this and you like this. And like, do you want to, do you want to meet in the middle? Like, <laughs> right. Um, but do you know if like evolutionary astrology, I guess it does look at like compatibility different than, right? Because not all, or do all tenants of astrology look at things like past lives and the evolutionary capabilities no i didn't think so it's a very specific way of looking at the birth chart it takes a lot of time to learn it it's very it's very nuanced it's very deep i just did a three-day training with one of my teachers on evolutionary astrology and sinistry and i think it was like gosh i mean it must have been about 10 or 12 hours of teaching total right? Yeah. Like three or four hours a day for three, like three Saturdays. And we went so deeply into it and it was multi-leveled and it was, you know, to really do a proper synastry between two people is a complex and very time consuming task from an evolutionary astrology perspective. I don't actually know that I have ever done that, like to that depth. I do it with my own relationships. Like I've been analyzing my own relationship chart with my current boyfriend from that perspective because I as I was going through the course of course I was using my relationship as an example and I've also had past life memories from from this relationship that came up like two weeks after I met this person I sort of remembered an entire lifetime that I'd spent with them so I've been kind of piecing together my own past life memory with him the dynamics that I've noticed in the relationship since, since we came to it about four months ago, it's only been about four months, right? But we got pretty close very quickly. And so, and then now overlaying the evolutionary astrology paradigm. So I'm starting to be able to see how things are presenting and I can read, I, I can understand because of the dynamics in the, in the birth chart, like in EA, the first, the first thing you would always want to notice is the, is the nodal axis. Okay. So mm -hmm. we want to go to the nodes of the moon, in, in each of the charts and see whether there is a planet from one partner. Like, so say, say we have um, 
partner A, Anna, and then we have partner B, Carlos, right? Anna and Carlos. And so Anna's nodal axis is thus. Does Carlos have any planets that square her nodal axis or conjoin her nodal axis? Or even to go further than that, um, what about the rulers of her nodes? You know, does he have anything that is impacting those in the birth chart, right? So, that, so you want to pull in kind of um, on her evolutionary axis. Does he have anything that kind of circumvents it, or, 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 or breaks it, or impacts it in some way? Like, for instance, with your boyfriend, I can see that his Saturn sits on your south node, and his Chiron sits on your north node, right? So there is something really strong and his Saturn is in Capricorn sitting on, you know, like it, it's, so there's something really strong in your connection, at least for you. Like he's played a Saturnian role in the past and in the future, he plays more of the role of the, the teacher or the guide or the, or the spiritual, whatever Chiron represents to you, right? So there's that, the, the the north node is connected to Chiron, but the south node has is anchored in Saturn. So if you look at Saturn, like what are some of the archetypes that Saturn kind of represents for a person? Like perhaps Carlos was a bit of a parenting figure or a strong discipline figure or a control authority figure in your life, perhaps a father or perhaps, <laughs> or perhaps, you know, Saturn, Saturn is a lawmaker. Oh right. yeah. Yeah. Right. No, we, we always get into these little tips because when he wants to talk to me about something, he like gets in this energy and my like inner child immediately is like, dad, stop. <laughs> I'm like, you sound like my father right now. And he's like, I'm not trying to. And I'm like, you're just doing it. <laughs> but that's a memory for you. Like that it's a vibrational match, right? That his Saturn plays this role for you inside your own memory bank, right? Whether or not you actually had a past life with him and he was your father, I don't know. I mean, how are you supposed to know that unless you unequivocally have a dream, remember it, have some kind of a re, I don't know what, you know what I mean? But but the resonance is there. The, the archetypal frequency is the same. Yeah. You will feel like that. And do we want to stay in our South node? Like, do we want to hang out there or do we want to move forward? Right? So sometimes if we have, like I had a friend who had his Venus was conjunct his girlfriend's South node. Her Venus was conjunct his South node. Hmm. And despite the fact that he kept telling me that he didn't want to be in the relationship and that he knew it wasn't going to last forever, he couldn't get out of it. He kept mm -hmm. saying there was something unfinished. Okay, Venus conjunct each other's south nodes. Clearly they love each other. Clearly they have loved each other before. But do they want to stay in the south node? Or do they want to move ahead? Do you see? So, so the south node is what happened in the past. And yes. the north node is what we're walking into. Correct. Theoretically, yes. It, like on a, on a simplistic level, yes. Right. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to clarify that for folks who are, have no idea. Thank you. I, this, this is going to be a little technical of a conversation, which may, <laughs> may throw some people off. But if, if something is attached to your south node from another person, that, that quality might feel a little bit more, um, it might be a little more annoying, right? Like it might be a little bit annoying to you when Carlos plays daddy, and tries to be all controlling, <laughs> but it might be really, really attractive to you when he goes into his Chiron in Cancer, and when he softens, and when he becomes humble, and when he becomes sweet and nurturing. That feels more. That feels more attractive to you because that is stimulating where you're moving in yourself as well, right? Like so. There's this. There's like you're almost like you would. You might do you notice that in yourself? Because my north node is in Cancer, correct? Is that what you're exactly. saying? And his Chiron is conjunct your north node. So the quality okay. of his Chiron 
pulls you into your destiny, right? The quality of his Saturn reminds you of your past. It's familiar or, and, and may have, may have like things from the past associated with it. Times when that was not appropriate times when you had to take that kind of abuse again and again and again and again and again and again, and you had no choice. And now you're like, no, I'm not going to take that. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Well, I had a very, I mean, him and my father are very similar and their charts are pretty similar too, which is interesting. So there's like that dynamic too. So let's, let's like kind of dive into the houses because I'm like, I so want to talk about the seventh and eight houses with you, (laughs) especially the seventh house. Um, So let me, I've got a little uh, definition for folks um, here for the seventh house. I just wanted to read out. Um, It's, it's basic, but that way you're kind of with us here. Um, And this is what like really grabbed my attention the seventh and eighth houses. Um, And you could obviously fill me in if there are additional houses, but the seventh house. um, So here, the alter ego, companionship, one-on-one connections, marriage, the other half, partnerships, first marriage, lawyers, counselors, mediators, and contracts are being covered. So it's very much a house of like partnerships, the ability, the willingness to compromise, marriage, and other commitments. and um, it's ruled by the planet Venus, just FYI. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, when I first dove and like, I guess when I really dove into the seventh house, it just blew me away um, at how on point it was. And then when I looked at like, you know, my seventh house is in Aquarius and where Carlos's seventh house is in Leo. And like, I had never read anything, you know, that really, I felt like, um, described our relationship dynamics the way that the seventh house did and then even our eighth house placements so i'd love to hear what your viewpoint on the seventh house is like how important that is in a in a in a hot romance chart <laughs> um well i've i loved um stephen forrest's take on the seventh and eighth house he's a and quite a remarkable astrologer And I really agree with him in that the seventh house is the house of contracts, but the eighth house is the house of marriage. Hmm. The way I look at it is like for the last how many thousands of years, like 5,000 years, basically marriage has been a contract, right? Or a way to acquire more wealth, property. Your wife was your property. I mean, she was like, same as chattel, right? Your family, your offspring. If you were a man in the patriarchy, particularly in the patriarchy, right? Your your offspring and your woman, just basically was, everywhere, <laughs> was your fam. Like that was your kingdom. That was your wealth. And then we have. I mean, we have the dowry system, right? We have marrying for money, or like marriage was not necessarily done for love, hmm, right? A negotiated contract that that held a lot of value and currency for whoever was taking part in it, right? Marrying as high up as you could get could really put your family on another trajectory of success or wealth or, or privilege or esteem in the society. What, it was a big deal. But I'm just saying that, you know, it's not necessary. It hasn't always been like, like when we call the seventh house, the house of marriage, we have to be careful with how we're defining marriage. No, that makes like total sense, total sense. Marriage, marriage, the way we we think about it in terms of a legal contract, yes. Negotiation, yes. It's also the house of business partnerships, right? Or or that place where you go to really negotiate with the other and to hear what what is the other offering? Now, what am I offering? And what are you offering? And what am I? How are we going to compromise? How are we going to come into an agreement where we balance and harmonize with each other so we're both getting our needs met or or, or, or not, maybe, maybe you're more powerful than I am. So I'm acquiescing to your, whatever it is, whatever we need to do, we need to create a sense of harmony and, and balance within whatever, you know, whatever we got, but it's not necessarily 
like Libra is not a relation. It's not an actual relationship sign. And it, this, no, it's like a neutral sign. I feel like exactly. It's a neutral sign. It's about keeping the other person. Okay. So that you're okay too. It's yeah. like, let's get peace. Let's find peace. Yeah. Right. No, no, don't rock the boat. Let's just work that. Like, let's work this. Let's, let's have a professional arrangement so that we're all okay. Right. But the eighth house is the house of deep soulmate intimacy. It's the way it's where you, it's the, where you go into that state of, of merge with another where your soul and his soul or her soul are face to face. And you guys just become one with each other and you let go of everything and you trust to the point of completely allowing them to become you and you to become them and where you merge with them. And there's like this unification that happens at that point, right? You're merging with their resource. You're merging with something outside of you. And this outside of you is them and they're merging with you. And so you're becoming more than you were before, right? And that's where I think the real marriage house is in our culture and civilization. I mean, that's more along the lines of what we think about as romantic love or do, do you know what I mean? That, or, or, or the ideal any, in any case, like what we'd all love to find. I mean, some people would just like to find a, a good partner who's easy to get along with and who's stable and who makes some money and is a good provider. And like, there's all that seventh house stuff, but some people want to just go all the way. Right. And just like find that, forever union that that soulmate and and perhaps that's why when you were reading out the description of the seventh house it, it qualifies first marriages because first marriages are perhaps a bit more of a negotiation right we, we create the stable ground within which to hold a family together it is like a business I always think of my first marriage it felt like a business it felt like a partnership where we were like creating a family and we were you know partners in that but hopefully um you know to find um, the union of souls, like to find the soulmate, to find that that ability to go to that depth. I mean, that sounds that like that as as you cross into your older years or past your midlife, and you don't necessarily need the same partnership, you don't need the same structure. Hopefully, your marriage evolves to that. And if it doesn't, if it diesel, if it dissolves, then hopefully we find that in our in our second partner. Hmm. Interesting. Um... So the eighth house then is more of, so the eighth house, um, just a little description here for folks. It is ruled by uh, the planet Pluto, Scorpio. It's also the home of transformations and crises, people's attitudes towards situations, sex, rebirth, death, personal development, the partner's resources, regeneration, psychology addictions, inheritances, divorce, um, money. Um, it represents ambitions, metamorphosis, sexuality matters, death and rebirth. Uh, so basically what you're saying then is like the seventh house is like maybe a descriptor of marriage for, <laughs> I, I, I have been watching Bridgerton's. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that show. No, should I? I mean, I don't know. It's whatever. <laughs> it's entertainment. That's it. Um, every once in a while, I'll get like sucked into something because I usually just can't be bothered by TV. I've watched the same shows over. I, I don't even know how many times I've seen The Office. I can't even tell you because <laughs> I just, yeah. Um, but it's definitely like set back in the early 1800s and everything is about marriage and everything is about finding the right husband and you know like being like exactly what you're talking about like being that property i think i have seen the first episode of that it takes place in like kind of victorian england doesn't it in like yeah. court, or it's even earlier than that maybe it's even earlier than that it's but like it's the 1815 like right around then okay okay, okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen it. I, I agree. Yes, that's exactly it. It's all about who who is marrying who and who's going to make a match with who and how much money do they have? Yeah. Yeah. So that's more seventh house. So then the eighth house is like the transformation from like partner to like lover. 
lover. Yes. I mean, and in Bridgerton, I think there's, that's the relationship between that girl, that little blonde girl and the, and the Duke, right? The Duke. The Duke. Can't forget the Duke. As they develop their love <laughs> bond, as they go deeper and deeper and deeper, each one of them has to let go of something and take a big chance, right? And there's, there's a death that happens in the eighth house. It's not safe. As you read that long line of like terrifying <laughs> keywords for the eighth house, the eighth house is anything but safe. Like there is a lot of risk when you let yourself go like mm. that with another person and you could be destroyed. You could be killed and you could be devastated. You could be betrayed. Who wants to go to that level of intimacy? Are you crazy? You have to have a lot of faith in yourself and in life. And, and hopefully, you know, by the time you get to the eighth house relationship, you're ready and they're ready too. And you guys can take the plunge and, and go for it because you will be transformed by it no matter what. It, it, is the, it is the place where we transform into something new. So, so when you're, there's that impulse. When you're looking at like, like my uh, Pisces is in my eighth house and I don't have any other planets or anything. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. But I was wondering if that is why I have always, like I haven't ever met a Pisces I don't love, male or female. Like I just immediately connect with them, but I've never been able to have a relationship with one. It's just never just never worked out. Never worked. The emotional differences are just not happening, but I love them. But is that, I mean, like when I think about like being a Pisces, if the chart is kind of simplified like mine and that there aren't all these other planets in their eighth house, then would I be going back to kind of those general tenets of like Pisces and Scorpio would be good together or Pisces and like, you know, those types of I think that maybe it would be a better, it, we could put it on a, like, we could say it like this. So if Pisces rules your eighth house, the energy by which you like to go into merge, like the, what you are, what you want to merge with is, is, is like the archetype of Pisces. You're very, you, you, you're drawn in to merge and learn and, and become one with people who are of a Pisces archetype right? Like it, it's almost like, um, I mean, what is it about Pisces that attracts you? Like, what is it that you love? Like, uh, it's almost, is it like a hunger? Like you just can't get enough and you just want to figure them out and touch them and connect with them. Like you're, they're just like, like fascinating to you or what is it, what does it feel like exactly? Fun. I think fun. more than anything, you know, like light and fun, like we're two kids, like we ah. can just like go goof off. I mean, like, my closest female friends have been Pisces and we get into all kinds of trouble, <laughs> you know? Um, but at the same time, we have like real depth in our relationship as well. You know, we can have the serious conversations. We can like bear our soul and, and share the pains in our lives. So it's not like just surface, like, Ooh, we're having fun. But that like fun element is typically like the initial attractor. Mm. So, and even with like male Pisces, like they're always kind of goofy and a little bit, you know, different. And like, they usually make me laugh, which what woman doesn't love to be, you know, made to laugh. <laughs> um, but it's not like it's this, like, uh, I would say the Virgo man for me, like freaking basically all like any movie star that I ever think is hot. I'll like look him up or something, which is very few. And it's either Virgo or Libra, you know? So it's, it's interesting to me. And especially after hearing your, like talking about the, about the, this transformation that takes place in the eighth house. It's really fascinating. It is really interesting. Like now that I think about it, I've got Capricorn ruling my eighth house. And I do feel always very attracted by Capricorn energy. I also feel like my, like what I want from a marriage union, like what I want from a soul union is um, structure and reliability and security, right? Very Capricorn qualities. Whereas perhaps what you want from a soul union is a bit more whimsy and 
and creativity, right? Pisces is spirituality. You want that free flow to be able to go anywhere and everywhere all the time and to just be one with everything. Like perhaps you're seeking that kind of feeling, whereas I'm seeking more like, okay, well, how are we going to merge our resources? What do we got? What's our capital? How are we going to build something here? Like, (laughs) Capricorn, how are we going to make a business of this? (laughs) But then, but then here's like the, the, the madness of it is like, sure, maybe being light and fuzzy is fine or whatever, but then like my Venus is in Virgo sums and my Mars is in Capricorn or maybe I've got those flip-flopped. Your Venus is in Capricorn, your Mars is in Virgo. Yeah. Perfect. So then I've still got that, like, like I I, I need someone who chills me out a little bit because otherwise it's, you know. But you see, it's not, it's not always so easy. It's that, that's why it's so silly to look at websites that say, here's your <laughs> match. Like this doesn't, you know, and everybody is a complex system of many, many different urges and needs and memories and inclinations and styles. Like to find that one person that you match with, like how many thousands of people do you meet until you find that one person that you match with? Yeah. Like it's, it's like, it's almost like the puzzle pieces just have to be perfect, you know, like they have to just come together and, and really work like, and it's, and it's that intangible magic. Do they, you know, can they ever work perfectly? I don't know. I I don't, I don't know if there is such a thing. I think that was definitely like, I mean, I, I felt like the, the final, like, kind of outcome of this discussion was I just thought it would be really interesting to dive into all the all of these different elements so that folks see it's not just like like you're saying like in the magazine or on the website where it's like oh your sun signs like you're gonna be together forever (laughs) it's like so many different things and then the chart there's so many different elements and that's not even taking into account like your life but let's just like, let's narrow it down. Like if you were looking at your chart and you were like, okay, what does Anna want ideally from a relationship? We, we, we have like identified a few significators, right? For sure. So let's just, let's just repeat those and like highlight them. Like number one, what is on your seventh house cusp? What sign is sitting ruling the seventh house? For you, it's Aquarius, okay? So we know that Anna's ideal partner is going to be Aquarian in nature. What are some of the Aquarian archetypal, um, you know, keywords? Oh, eccentric, humanitarian, intellectual, out of the box, unique. Independent. um, Independent, (laughs) detached. Then where is Anna's seventh house ruler located in her chart? Uranus is in your fourth house. So Anna's perfect partner wants to make a family, wants to come home. It's he's eccentric and he's wild and he's weird and he's an Aquarian and he's totally crazy, but he also knows how to ground and how to root and how to roost. And he, he can provide that stable underbelly of like security and and comfort so that she feels safe because the ruler of her seventh house is in the fourth house. So her marriage and family are connected, right? Now, when we get to the eighth house, what do you find the juiciest? What do you want to merge with? What do you want to go into? What do you want to become one with? Pisces, right? So a mystical quality. There has to be like this like total dissolution of form, like where you guys just transcend and go into complete unconditional love and where it's really magical and fun and creative and, 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 and you know, all of that wonderful, fun stuff. Where's the ruler of your eighth house? Well, it's also in the fourth house. Like you've got Neptune in the fourth house also. So is it true for you that home is so important for you that it, your partner, regardless if it's a contract marriage or if it's a soulmate union, it doesn't matter. You can have both. It doesn't matter to you unless, as long as you feel like you can make a place with them, that they can come home with you, that you're home with them, that there's like... Does that make sense to you? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I'm an incredibly private person. Mm -hmm. My home is like my safe place. So if Mm -hmm. I invite someone into my home, that's a very big deal. And certainly if I'm like sharing my home with someone, that's like a really big deal. So yeah. Can't just be anybody. (laughs) 
those two things, those two things, just looking at what is on the seventh house cusp and where that ruler sits in the chart, looking what's on the eighth house cusp and where that ruler sits in the chart, those two things will give you a lot of information about what someone's ideal match is, okay? Those are very important. The next thing that's very important is where's your Venus? What is your Venus in? That's what you, what, what you find attractive, what you value, right? What, where does she sit in the chart? What is her archetype? And the other important thing is the moon. What, what is going to feel safe to you, right? What is going to feel secure? So if you just looked at all like those four things, you would have a lot of information that could guide you toward what someone is looking for in a relationship what is important to them in a relationship, what they're going to likely be drawn to. I love it. Yeah. Those would, those would be where I'd start if I was delineating a chart or, or if someone asked me, what should I be looking for in a partner? <laughs> you know, I love that question. I'm like, um, well, but it's a good question because, you know, to get it, to narrow it down, you know how they always say you need to write out your perfect partner. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. To the universe. I really believe in that, actually. Like, I do I, too, 100%. So the more you know you, the more you know yourself, the more you are going to choose to define your partner based on your own unique self rather than he should be this and he should be that and he should be that because that's what society tells me he should be, right? This is my Prince Charming. Hello. That's just complete fantasy. Yeah. Your, your Prince Charming will be unique to you and, and you can have what you want as long as you can articulate it clearly and you know when it comes along also to be able to recognize it. That's another massive. <laughs> there's a, there's an amazing book um, my mother gave to me when I was like 18 in a very serious relationship and she did not want me running off and marrying this one and I was madly <laughs> in love. So... <laughs> um, it's called like how to know in two dates or less. And it's a fantastic book, but he literally has you like walk through these activities. And one of them is you make a list of 10 things he must have and 10 things he absolutely cannot have. And then it's up to you to find out, you know, if where those things lie within two dates and either say yes or no and kick him out. And that has been like, I mean, you know, I started doing that activity when I was young um did that work it's extremely powerful absolutely absolutely it would do the 10 things that he does have but i don't think i've ever done any like the the not like the the non-negotiables non-negotiable yeah like i i kind of had to fall backwards into that one and start to like listen to my you when i in it for me it was like when i started to listen to how i felt like how someone made me feel because you you can have all the credentials like you can have you can have all those check boxes ticked off right but if they don't make you feel safe like if they don't if you don't if you're not drawn in I was that's big- I mean honestly for me the non-negotiables that was the easy part of it was it you know laying those out because it was like you're saying thinking about the things that made me feel uncomfortable you know that that irked me, that bothered me. And I mean, you know, my Venus is in Virgo. So like values are extremely important to me, you know, my morals and those kinds of things. So, you know, I had things on that list that most people don't have on that list and that's fine. You know, like I wanted a man who's different from all the other men. (laughs) Chew with his mouth closed. (laughs) Very important. (laughs) He walks up off the floor. Or you just have separate rooms and you just don't care what they do in it. (laughs) All right, Miss Sarah. Well, um, I so appreciate this conversation and thank you so much too for kind of like really simplifying it for us in the end, like bringing it back and really giving folks like four things. I think that's awesome. Um, I I do have one more question for you. Um, And that is... um, so my moon's in Sagittarius and my boyfriend's moon is in Cancer. Are oh. we doomed? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but your but your moon um probably is louder than his moon, right? He might take things like more to heart. But listen listen to me. Your moon is in the fourth house of Cancer. 
Yeah. Okay. Don't underestimate how deeply sensitive your moon is as well. And, you know, do you know, like how, how close to yourself you hold things? Oh, for sure. Home is everything to me. I hold things close, right? Cancer holds things close. And him, his moon is in the fifth house, which is a firehouse. So he may be cancer, but he's got a little strut in there, right? So it's interesting to notice kind of the subtlety, like a, you have a fire moon inside of the house of cancer. He has a cancer moon inside of a firehouse. So there's there's a there's a little bit of a possibly the the correlation might work a little bit better. Like you might find, do you ever find that he over overreacts and then throws a little drama and then like does that and it's ever- hilarious when it happens because <laughs> he's not dramatic, but when it's dramatic, it's like oh come on now, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> but then your Sagittarius moon can just laugh with you know. <laughs> And, and find it charming and delightful, right? Because <laughs> yeah. he's playing a little character and he's having his fifth house drama of his cancer moon and being personally affronted and taking everything way too personally. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> <laughs> so your sad moon, you know, can let it roll off her back and she can laugh about it. She doesn't, you know what I mean? She can maybe has a, a lighter heart around that stuff because you can elevate beyond the the personal so easily yet still know what the personal is yeah you know the truth of the person you know what matters to you but you're not going to get hung up on the periphery right the drama so it's not just the planet or like the sign it's also the the ruler of the sign that you want to look at correct no it, it's it's the sign it's the position where it is in your chart it's the house where it's located it's how it's communicating with the rest of the chart it's 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 yeah it, it's it's nuanced and subtle and and it's yeah I, I like just to say i mean you can work it archetypally sag moon versus cancer moon okay sag and cancer definitely don't talk right they they don't talk they don't get along it's like it's like aquarius and cancer do not talk they don't get they don't even see each other they're like completely devoid of of any reference point where, you know, Sagittarius and and Cancer can feel similar, right? And and that Sagittarius is bombastic. It's big picture. It doesn't get caught on the small. It likes to. It, it it's 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 way beyond the the subtle personal level. It just doesn't even compute that that's a reality versus a Cancer Moon. Everything is personal. Everything. <laughs> I feel everything as though it were me. It's me. Why are you making fun of me? Why are you making a joke about me? This is serious. This is how I'm feeling. This is me. Like, why do you belittle me? And the Sag Moon is like, what are you talking about? I'm not belittling. Why are you taking this shit so seriously? What's wrong with you? Like, lighten up. Like, come on, get out of it already, you idiot. Like, it, you know what? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so there, there's like a automatically like some kind of a Oh, an objectification that's required so you guys can honor each other. You can take care of his moon and he can take care of yours. Like you have to, you have to learn how to be compatible sometimes. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, you have to take his moon seriously. It's it's really hard to be a cancer moon. I have I have to say, like it doesn't feel super comfy. Very sensitive. Do you yeah. know about do you know your boyfriend in that way? Do you know that part of him? Well, I, I the interesting thing is, is that when I was younger, cancer men loved me like crazy. And I had several, the relationship I was talking about when I was 18. And I mean, it was like this, like, couldn't get enough of each other for three years. You know, it was this crazy. Yeah, they were all cancers. So I've, I've and I, when I was a hairstylist in my first life, I always knew when a woman, like a female cancer, sat down in my chair. Like, I know cancers really well. Um, I really enjoy them, actually. My father's moon is cancer as well. So it's not, you know, it's it's very familiar to me, even though it is very different, you know. And there's that subtlety of you living in the fourth house of cancer. Your sun is there. Your moon is there. Your Uranus is there. Your your Neptune is there. Like you've got your Mercury is there, right? Like everything for you is in the fourth house. You've got a huge stellium there. 
So you have that rapport and that affinity. And we wouldn't know that just by looking at moon in Sag, moon in Cancer. So I guess that's the very long answer to your question. <laughs> you can see the limitations in playing sun sign astrology. It really is. It's basically just entertainment. I like, love it. If you want to get into it much more deeply, you have to have a real conversation with someone who perhaps knows what they're talking about. Or else you yourself have to learn how to read it at a deeper level. Do you do um, much like compatibility compatibility charts for folks? I do relationship charts all the time. Okay. Yeah. Everyone yeah. just needs to come see Sarah. Book they're a session with Sarah. They're difficult. Like they're not easy, right? Because they require doing an individual reading for each partner and then pulling them together. I would we- think that's the best way to do it though. That's the best way because you are two unique individuals. Yeah. And then you're coming together. And so you have to understand each other. And like the best is if each partner is with each other for their reading. That's amazing, right? To see that, like to see the honoring, right? Like to, when you start to recognize who your partner is as an individual. Yeah. And then you see why he, when he does this thing and it always bothers me. And then you, and you start to have compassion. It, it's, it's, I mean, this is something that like, I'm really thankful in my relationship with Carlos. We both, I mean, like even, you know, with some of like the therapy sessions he has, like he'll share them with me and I'll listen or things that I'm doing, he'll listen. Because like you said, they help us to understand each other better and understand why, you know, those little things that maybe drive us crazy or the little nuances of their, you know, moods and personality. It gives you, like you said, so much compassion. I mean, that's, that's why I love astrology in and of itself for my own, I need compassion for myself, you know? Um, But within a relationship, I just think it's extremely powerful. So that's, and I feel like today, I've certainly really uh, learned a lot and I hope that, you know, our listeners have as well, because I think that, you know, when we, when we start to take these things, we utilize these tools. It's just kind of like, like couples therapy, you know, it's a tool learning how to communicate better with each other, you know, through a different lens, learning how to talk with one another, whatever the case may be. Astrology is the same thing. You know, you can learn about the other person, figure out, you know, what's working, maybe what's not, and be able to make a decision from that point. And then you can get over and stop taking everything so personally, right? Because <laughs> it's yeah. not always necessarily about the other person so much. It's just kind of who someone is. That's true. It usually always is just who someone is. And I guess <laughs> even knowing that is, well, then you can make a decision, right? If you know who someone is and they're likely not going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's then there's that as well. That's the that's the negotiation part of it. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Sarah. Oh, Love so having much- you on the podcast and geeking out with you. <laughs> so much fun to hang out with you. I love. Hey. All right, folks. If you were inspired by today's discussion, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe. Be sure to sign up for the email list to receive podcast updates, tools, meditations, and don't forget when we invest in ourselves, the world benefits. Until next week.